You're on Radio 191 FM, uh, the Download Circus with me, George, uh, and it's 35 past one, and I'm joined by Bill Harris from the Politics Department. Good afternoon, Bill. Oh, hi, George. Um, so, I, I, you know, uh, you're, a, you're an old friend of the station, and um, we, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I think since you, since you uh, last talked talk to me, you went to uh, Turkey. Uh, which is your your country of uh, expertise, uh, and you were there for for the for the referendum recently that was uh, curbing uh, democratic norms. I guess what what was the general feeling while you were there uh, on the domestic front? Well, the, I was on a university campus which has a strong centre left, yeah, more left, I suppose, well, tendency at the Middle East Technical University. Mm. And the student and staff body there voted ninety, either ninety-five or ninety-eight percent against the hyper presidency that Erdogan was floating in that referendum. Mm. Um, but of course, in a wider and in the wider public, he got his fifty-one percent. Uh, he did look a bit worried. Yeah. In, a, in photos of him, as the as the count was running down. But he did get what he wanted, and there was his, his attitude is majoritarian. If I get one percent over the margin, that's it. It's the same <laughs> as getting ninety percent. So there was the some, rest, and the rest just don't exist. There was some last-minute wrangling there, wasn't there, with the voting? Is that well, right? Well, there was a problem. Uh, the problem, well, the problem from his, from his point of view was that the margin was narrowing as the count as the count proceeded. It was interesting to see it at one point fifty-five to forty-five, and then it was fifty-four to. Mm. Uh, 40, 54 to 46, and it finally was heading towards 51 to 49, which is where it stopped. And what they did at that point, uh, the the Electoral Commission allowed the counting of um, of ballot papers that hadn't properly been sealed in their envelopes, which, lo and behold, mainly <laughs> turned out to be yes ballot papers. Yeah. And at that point, the shrinking of the gap stopped. Right. So yes. Yeah, uh, so and and the the opposition was got pretty fierce about this. They tried to have they tried they tried to appeal it. Mm. Um, but Erdogan basically shut that down and said it's over. I've won. Uh, bad luck and yeah. so forth. So d- some dodgy stuff going on there. So now he well, that's that a- referendum passed. Yeah. And and but the dodgy stuff. It's interesting because that's not actually. Tra- in Turkish elections, there isn't anything serious generally in the way of dodgy stuff, and nobody's right. really brought up this okay. before this referendum. In parliamentary elections, it's generally pretty straight down the line, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's well organised, and it's gets everybody's seal of approval, and that's included the elections under this government of Turkey, and they've got their big majorities, but nobody's questioned that those were fairly got. Uh, until we got to this referendum, where 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 he basically took over the media, yeah. intimidated any any uh, any gain- naysayers out of sight. Uh, for example, with election with with referendum publicity, I mean everything was yes. Mm. Where you go down avenues and streets and so forth, and there wasn't a no thing to be seen until you looked on the backside of a rubbish canister. Or something like that. That's just the the posters and stickers and stuff like that. Ever it was it was really heavily skewed, and the, of course all the people on the other side, which is at least half of Turkey, uh, 
were obvious. I mean, were ready to find stuff and ready to see stuff, and stuff turned up in terms of fiddling with the mm. fiddling with the count and dubious practices. But that's not that's not uh, not normal. Not not in the normal run in Turkish elections or re- or or, right. or votes or whatever. So they're, they're, they're in in the. In the past, they, they they've got quite a rigid institutionalised kind of there's elections. The decent, there's a there's a really decent institutional container for these votes mm. and and elections and so forth, and and nobody's really questioned this up to now. This is something new, wow. and and it shows it shows the way things are going. Yeah, yeah. And what he wants to do with this hyper presidency, which to just to, to describe it quickly, is uh, the the president will not have a prime minister. There will not be any share in executive power. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parliament uh, will be will be restricted in its capabilities uh, in terms of the president having the right to issue decrees that have the power of legislation and declare emergencies and uh, and avoid parliamentary interrogation and questioning that sort of thing. So yeah. the so the parliamentary branch of government has been downgraded will will be downgraded as this is implemented in terms of its capability vis-a-vis the executive and also the president can appoint uh, senior judges and that's a portion of senior judges to the extent that uh, also the judicial branch is uh, mm. is more subject to the executive. Power. Seems like a common a, a common practice for for these kind of elected authoritarian leaders. We see that in Poland at the moment with the judiciary stuff. I, I w- yeah, but there was a really good article done on it in the academic literature, which which by Turks, by yeah. by good Turkish academics that uh, that compared this with uh, with Latin American presidencies. Right. Um, I mean, there are a number of Latin American countries, including countries that have decent electoral practices, etc., that have very strong presidencies. Mm. And they were comparing this hyper-presidency of Erdogan with with the Latin American cases. So how are things going in terms of Turkish foreign policy? I mean, he's got this kind of, I guess, a a sort of domestic hold, Erdogan does. Now, what's happening with uh, Syria and and Turkey's role in there? uh, And, you know, what are the... Is there a... A foreign policy debate, I guess, in Turkey yeah, about well, what? Uh, the Turks have felt they have had no choice but to join the Russian-Iranian combine, uh, and they feel that they can shift the Russians a bit. Mm. It's not really explicit joining, though, in, in the uh, sense that Iran and Russia. What do you? What, yeah. Well, it's that they've joined that they're joint sponsors of the of the so-called. I mean peace or yeah. settlement process that the Russians are trying to run at right. the Kazakh. There's yeah. meetings going on at the Kazakh capital, Astana. Which the United States uh, has nothing to do with. Which the US has nothing to do with, and the Turks have become a joint sponsor of that. And the Turkish, and I, I've asked about this, uh, including with foreign ministry people, mm. and uh, they, they feel that they can shift the Russians, that the Russians want a diplomatic or political deal in Syria, that they don't want to carry on bombing forever. And if you want a diplomatic and political deal of any sort, you you somehow have to have the other side involved. Mm. And Turkey feels that that Turkey feels that it's the country that can produce the other side, meaning yeah. the rebels. Yeah. Bring the rebels to the table, and then something can be worked out that won't be a total giveaway to Bashar al-Assad. 
uh, and the Turks sort of feel they'll be able to persuade the Russians to let go of Assad as this as this as this proceeds. So the Turks have hopes with the Russians, mm. with the Iranians they have no hopes. <laughs> yeah. uh, they feel that Iran basically shares Bashar al-Assad's view that there's a military solution to this, in the end, and that all of Syria can be got back for an unreconstructed regime by military means. And that that's I think the how the Turks see the see the Iranians mm. how how is how are all those talks playing out on the ground and, and the dynamics between you know Turkish uh, forces and their Arab allies and and Russian forces uh, and Iranian forces and yeah well the one thing that the Turks seem to be a bit worried about is that the the Russians continued after the Aleppo thing late at December last year after Aleppo was shut down yeah, uh, and whoever was left had to evacuate to Idlib mm. uh, and the Turks are a bit worried that the Russians have gone along with these regime ideas of evacuating people but which, which a lot of folks call demographic engineering yeah. uh, and, that the Ru- and that they're concerned that the Russians haven't sort of distance themselves from the regime on that and they're really worried about this uh, Idlib area which is the big opposition both stronghold and dumping ground you might say where all these different factions have now congregated and concentrated and as as other areas around Damascus particularly have been shut down the rebels there of different factions have been shunted to Idlib and you've got this Idlib place with all these factions Mm. And and they fight and they they can barely hold themselves from fighting each other. Yeah. And the Turks are really worried about that and a bit suspicious that the regime in Russia has it in mind that this place would blow up. You know, you feed in different rebel right. elements. Yeah. yeah. And and sooner or later it blows into the stratosphere and then and then of course the regime and the Russians and the Iranian back militias can move in. Yeah. Uh, and that bothers the Turks, and the Turks are, are sort of like a fireman. They're trying to dampen down any inter-militia clashes in that area in case they get out of control. And Can at they... the same time, that they're, they're also suspicious that the Russians and the regime have this in mind, that, this yeah. should ha- that some sort of implosion should take place. Do they have the capabilities to do that in terms of their influence over, over um, local Arab Sunni militias? Do they hold much? I mean, Who, the... re- rel- Turk. The Turks, Turkish. The, the Turks. One thing that they did. There was one, one incident between um, Jabhat and Nusra, mm-hmm. which are jihadists. Yeah. Uh, and and another militia, which is sort of Islamist but not jihadist, and they fought each other, started fighting each other, and the Turkish reaction, from what I gathered, was to basically shut the gate. Because ter- anything that comes into that area comes from Turkey. It comes across the Turkish border. Uh, so they shut off supplies and and stuff going to that particular jihadi militia, right, yeah. um, which has changed its names. It changed its name a couple of yeah. times in the last year or so. But it is the old Jabhat al-Nusra, and they basically said to Jabhat al-Nusra, "Look, if you if you make trouble in this area, uh, we'll we'll make sure that you get constricted in terms of supplies." Mm. But it's just really put the lid on the bubbling cauldron. Right. And of course the Russians and regime are wa- watching and waiting, rubbing their hands about this. And, a sto- and probably a 
deliberately had the idea to stoke this up by feeding more of these factions into it. Yeah. Because they've got nowhere else to go, basically, except except the Turkish-controlled area of just around a bit to the north. Yeah. Uh, where the Turks came in. And the Turks came in there for a quite different reason, which was to keep the Kurds apart. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's <laughs> you know. talk about the, the Kurds because, I mean, you know, as you say, Idlib's bubbling so way, but talk, over, over several, the other side. Several, several chess boards going on at yes. once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over the other side of Syria, we have, we have Raqqa, and that is the de, de facto capital of um, ISIL. Uh, and the the Kurdish group and some you know they they have a little bit of Sunni Arab allies uh, and U.S. air support and special forces support. How is that going? The siege of Raqqa. Well, as far as one can tell from a distance, it's going okay. Mm. I mean, the, these the you've got the Kurdish YPG, which is the militia of the Democratic Union Party, uh, which runs those Kurdish cantons on the Syrian side of the Syrian-Turkish yeah. border, which have considerably inflated in size as they've been able to eat into what Islamic State was holding. Uh, and they've acquired American backing. And the Americans have actually found them reasonably decent to operate with. Of course, the Americans put aside their sort of semi-Marxist characteristics <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. and. And that they and that they run a sort of monopolistic political operation, but the, the U.S. doesn't want to hear anything about any of that. <laughs> Otherwise, in military terms, they're reasonably decent to get on with. Yeah. Uh, and I think they do. They're going okay in Raqqa. I mean, it's slow. Mm. They're deliberately because obviously they don't want to take casualties, and it's a and it's a built-up environment, and it's not particularly easy. And but but it, it's it. I think it's perfectly conceivable that Raqqa may well fall. Yeah, uh, it's not a, it's not as big as Mosul. Oh no, no, it? it's a quarter. The, I suppose it's yeah. something like a third or a quarter of the size. Yeah. Um, but it's a reason. It's a it's a town of two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand original population. Okay. Of course, most of that's gone. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you might might have a few tens of thousands in there, and they obviously want to avoid anything. Anything severe in the in the in the way of collateral damage, as mm. people say. Um, the big issue is not so much the the American collaboration with the Kurds, which is going fine in military terms, and the Turks have basically been shut out of yeah. that. Not just by the Americans, but as I was saying to you before, by yeah. the Russians. The yeah. Russians have shut the Turks out by preventing their access to Raqqa area, by by making sure that that area that the Kurds went that the Turks went into mm. um, El Bab, it's called northeast of Aleppo. That the Turks couldn't proceed any further south from there. Uh, so the Turks are out of that Raqqa equation. But the real, the, the real problematic thing here is um, that the this new American administration has no strategy and no policy for for what this whole scene should look like from their point of view. A little bit down the track. Yeah. And it's basically running on autopilot, with Mattis, James Mattis, and the pen, and the and the military people mm. uh, watching over this Raqqa operation, and it can sort of proceed towards its conclusion. Uh, and Mosul has, of course, to well, not entirely to its conclusion because ISIS is still there, um, and there are quite big pockets of ISIS still in Iraq. Uh, but um, but the, prob the problem is 
the regime and the Russians, and you can see this on the maps if you look at the really pretty good Wikimedia. Yeah, uh, yeah. Day by day maps they of are what's happening detailed. across Syria and Iraq. They're really good, mm. and you can see the regime is pushing across to the south of Raqqa, and that's obviously with Iranian and Russian backing. And the Americans are not making any move to do anything about that because to rec to make any move to do anything about it requires you to have a policy about what you want this whole place to look like down yeah. the track, and they and and of course Trump is so diverted mm. uh, that that there's absolute they get they've got no backing, no ideas coming from Washington as far as you can tell. No, it's really uh, just the the Pentagon kind of functioning on its own, isn't it? Yeah, and the Pentagon went to the point, obviously. Of, of sending the regime a warning by shooting down a regime airplane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then again, you come up against the wall. That, that, I mean, this is tactical reactions. Mm -hmm. uh, do you go beyond that to telling the regime more of your stuff will be hit if mm. you keep moving? Because Bashar al-Assad's crowd is a crowd which, with the, if you if you leave the door just slightly ajar, they'll be pushing at it. Yeah, they'll find a way through. If you give them a little hole to go through, they'll go through it. Uh, it's that kind of crowd. And the U.S. is going to face more and more of this around Raqqa, to the south of Raqqa, towards Deir Azor, towards the Iraqi bound border, mm. where the Iranians obviously hope to link up land routes so that their access to the Mediterranean for military stuff will be even more convenient. And the Israelis don't like that. Yeah. So, and, and, but there's no American policy as to what you do about this bigger picture. And so, okay, you can shoot down a Syrian plane, and then the Russians go bananas, mm. uh, but it sort of dies down. But if you want to go further than that to say to say the Syrian regime, hey, you're not going any further than this, and there's not going to be any door ajar or any little hole you can go through, you actually need a policy to back that up. You need, because that becomes major news, and the people back home want to know that the U.S. has... Okay, we're drifting into strife with that regime, with its Russian backers, etc. Where are we going with this? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you, that, that that question has to be answered before you go any further than say shooting down one plane. Yeah, it definitely uh, it definitely doesn't uh, end with Raqqa. It kind of b begins with, with Raqqa, with with the uh, southern Syrian stuff that you're talking about. When you say um, Iran's yeah, uh, southern, southern Syria is another scene. Yeah, yeah. is another scene, and that brings in Jordan and Israel and so forth. I want to move um, to to the so-called Gulf crisis, yeah. uh, which has been interesting to follow, especially um, on, on Freeview. Al Jazeera is the twenty four seven news network, and that's been quite fun to to watch and and see how they uh, react. I haven't actually been watching them recently. Right, yeah, <laughs> so it, you're ahead of me on that one. They 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 kind of just um, they. They exaggerate it. Well, it's kind of just on twenty four seven. They're really, yeah. really, really pushing it. Um, and um, but uh, Turkey is playing a role uh, in this, um, aren't they? I, I see Erdogan. Yeah, this is in. this is really interesting. So Turkish. I mean, the, the, the in terms of dealing with Isla Islamists, in terms mm -hmm. of dealing with people who want to convert the public arena more towards religion in Arab countries. The, the, Turks, the Turks have decided, this, this Turkish government, which is mildly religiously inclined itself, has decided it sees positive features in the Muslim Brotherhood and was quite favorably disposed towards them in Egypt mm -hmm. and was very supportive when Morsi won his election and got in as president. 
uh, and then was very hostile to Sisi. The, the, I mean, the Turks, Erdo, Erdogan and co, very hostile to Sisi when he tipped out Morsi and the Brotherhood mm -hmm. and went on about how this was overturning legitimate elections and all that sort of thing. Um, so the Turks, I mean, when it comes to Qatar, it's a brotherhood. There's a brotherhood link there because the Qataris have also been supporting and sponsoring the Brotherhood and the Egyptian, the present Egyptian regime hates both of them. Uh, and this has been going on in Libya as well. Yeah, where, yeah. Where Brotherhood type Islamists are backed by, for the last couple of years or more, have been backed by Turkey and Qatar against the Egyptians and the Emiratis. And so you have this rather neat geographical division in Libya whereby Benghazi, that area, mm. Cyrenaica, uh, the old name, yeah. um, is the area of, of the renegade general Haftar. The e eastern chunk. Uh, this, is, this is the eastern end of mm. Libya. And the Egyptians and the Emiratis support him uh, and operations against the Islamists there. And over in Tripoli, you've got quite a strong position for, the, for Islamists, a lot of whom are quite brotherhood-inclined, and the Turks and the Qataris have been supporting that. So there's there's history to this there's history to this Turkey Qatar link up, mm. uh, but it's it's interesting to see the Turks pushing it to the point of well they have some military presence in Qatar mm. uh, and want to have more, uh, and it's been a demand of the Saudis and others that that be got rid of, and that's that's all just a little bit puzzling because the Turks actually have been getting on fine with the Saudis recently. Uh, and a couple of years ago, they even collaborated jointly to give a, a really big, big boost to the rebels in Syria yeah. through the supply of um, right. anti-tank missiles mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing. And and they made some major advances. And that's what that's what provoked the Russian intervention. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Russians needing that sort of needing a provocation. I mean, I'd forgotten the, the, about that. It's interesting. So that, that was Turkey and Saudi Arabia operating together. Yeah, but I. I they didn't seem to calculate the reaction from the Russians terribly well. Mm. Uh, and of course, Turkey got into strife with Russia along the way by shooting down one of their planes on the border mm -hmm. uh, and weathered that for a few months and then made up with Putin. Yeah. But, but that's, that's getting a bit <laughs> in the line of ancient history now. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, what I'm trying to point out is that Turkey, Turkey had, does have this um, track record of by Turkey, I mean obviously the Justice and Development Party government of Turkey and Erdogan at the head of it, mm. uh, because there's half of Turkey that hates all this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just absolutely hates it. Uh, but these people have been tied up with Qatar, the Brotherhood, but also have been getting on fine with the Saudis. But now that the Turks seem to have decided that they'll go with the go with the Qataris on this. Mm. I, I, I mean, I know that Erdogan's there at the moment. I'm not sure if... It, I, I suppose he's visiting Saudi Arabia. I, I haven't... I haven't checked I this out. I'm I don't know, but he, he he seems to be, you know, saying uh, Kuwait's um, efforts to mediate, to mediate the situation yeah. are all good, and, you know, I'll... I'm. I'll be the influential one that helps all my mates out, kind of thing, or it helps you be. Friends, yeah, I'd be yeah. surprised if he took any line that was provocative towards mm. the Saudis. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of even having much to do with the Qataris, the Saudis like to, to have 
preferred to view that as provocative. Yeah. So Turkey, Turkey, the Turkish government's in a little bit of a tricky situation here between mm. Qatar and Saudi Arabia. I very much doubt that they want to throw the Saudis over. I mean, if you're comparing weight and power in that part of the world, there's yeah. really not much of a comparison between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Yeah. Uh, the Qatar, if you're looking at Qatar itself, I mean, it's a it's a little country. Mm. Uh, that's wanted to have influence all over the place, to punch above its weight. Uh, and so it's it's been associated with practically everybody you can imagine on the sort of yeah, medical yeah. side. I mean, when back in 2006, when the Israelis had their affair in southern Lebanon, the, the mm -hmm. month-long warfare there, the Qataris turned up to back up Hezbollah and to, and to put push money into sh into reconstruction in, in in Shia areas of southern southern Lebanon so the and and of course the Saudis hate yeah Hezbollah. hate Hezbollah yeah. and hate Iran yeah as and and part of the part of the bone they're picking with with Qatar is that Qatar has also these relations with Iran mm. and then Qatar pays big ransom payments to jihadists who kidnap people and you wonder if that isn't some sort of tricky uh, tr budgetary trick they also tried to play a role in the in the Afghan talks as well didn't they they had a Taliban um, emissary yeah, been, and the Qataris have been everywhere with pies. Every, <laughs> have been everywhere with everyone yeah um, and uh, and the and the Saudis don't like it. Yeah, uh, you know the latest the the, the latest um, ransom thing was these members of the Qatari royal family who were in southern Iraq and were grabbed. What the heck they were doing there? Who knows? Uh, but they're grabbed by the by a local Shia uh -huh. militia. Yeah, and the Qataris paid a huge ransom to get them out of that. A lot of that money went to Iran's friends in in Iraq. Uh, Saudis didn't like that at all. <laughs> also, the Qataris have played this ransom thing with, with Jabhat al-Nusra in Syria, mm -hmm. which is the, that jihadist crowd yeah. I mentioned before. And Jabhat al-Nusra raises money. One of its main devices for raising money has been kidnapping people. Uh, they've been quite... They've kidnapped nuns at, from a monastery north of Damascus at a place called Mahalula. I think that was Jabhat al-Nusra. Uh, soldiers on the Golan Heights. I mean, uh, international mm -hmm. observers, military yeah, observers yeah. there, uh, and other and other people. And the Qataris have turned up to pay the ransoms. Interesting. And you and you sort of think, and that's also involved. I mean, I think there were Lebanese soldiers involved in this too. I mean, there's a whole range of different people that jump in. A, an outfit like Jabhat al Nusra is kidnapped mm. and then locks to make money by by. By selling them off, mm, they were like and Fijian the peacekeepers, turn, Fijian yeah. peace, peacekeepers, yeah, yeah. etc. And the Qataris, Always, in a lot of these yeah. cases, have turned <laughs> up with the with the hugely inflated ransom, and yeah. you sort of have the suspicion: is this a way of budgetary support? Right. Yeah. Is this all? Is this all just? Is is all this kidnapping and ransoms a sort of budgetary device? Uh, and and the Qataris have been in this scene. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the, of course the Saudis and the Emiratis point to that as well. Fascinating stuff. Uh, I'm so, going to have to. So it's a good, it's a fairly intricate thing. But yeah, lots of chess boards. I'm going to have to leave it there, Bill. But yeah. thanks for thanks for coming uh, on, and uh, we'll probably talk to you again.